Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Hope you had a good weekend. I had a busy one. I was at the Illinois Association of Agricultural Fairs convention over the weekend. Saw hundreds of people from around the state of Illinois. Good to visit with them and several AOA listers. Glad to hear from them and talk with them. And I also had the pleasure once again this year of serving as MC for the Miss Illinois Fair Pageant. So a big weekend there, and meanwhile, a lot of uh, cold winter weather around the country. We'll be talking about that with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson here in just a bit. Also, we're going to talk with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. They have an E15 awareness campaign going on, and also want to talk with him about uh, what he thought of Andrew Wheeler's confirmation hearing last week to be uh, the full-time administrator for EPA. We'll talk some markets, even though markets closed today. We'll talk with Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance a little bit later on as well. I'll be headed later today to San Diego for the National Biodiesel Conference, and I'll be broadcasting from there tomorrow and Wednesday. So we'll talk a lot about biodiesel the next couple of days. Well, joining me now is the editor and president of AgriPulse Communications, Sarah Wyatt. Sarah, thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure, Mike, and I'm looking forward to seeing you here in very windy San Diego. We've got uh, 20 to 30 mile an hour wind gusts this morning, but uh, no snow to go with it. So it's really not that bad in comparison to a lot of the places where you are in the Midwest. Yeah, it's a uh, 12 right now where I'm at, so uh, a little wind it won't be too bad in San Diego. So, uh, yeah, kind of looking mm-hmm. forward to that. Um, well, of course, today, Martin Luther King Jr. observance, uh, the holiday today, so things would be quiet in Washington anyway, but uh, uh, they've been quiet for some time, uh, at least as far as getting things done and functioning because of the shutdown. Any sign that you're seeing that, uh, that may be coming to an end anytime soon? Well, as you know, we're going into day 31 of the government shutdown, and so we did see some partial reprieves in some different agencies. Even USDA had offices that were opening on Thursday and Friday and will be open again on Tuesday at the Farm Service Agency. But most of the stalemate is continuing, even though President Trump, as you know, went on to uh, make a national address over the weekend saying that he was willing to offer not only some additional things on the border in terms of border security, but that he was uh, willing to extend legal status for three years to the Dreamers, uh, those people who were brought into the United States illegally as children, in return for $5.7 billion in border wall funding. Uh, and then Vice President Pence was also uh, doing the talk shows on Sunday, talking about, you know, this is another way that the president was trying to get the negotiations going again. But basically we saw that offer uh, rejected outright by the Democrats. Uh, Speaker Pelosi uh, immediately rejected the deal. And so I think what's happening now is there's going to be some pressure building especially among those that did want to at least see some uh, relief on the Dreamers to see if there might be some path forward. 
but on the surface right now, we're not seeing anything happening that, that tells us what that final compromise, or even if there is room for a compromise, might be. Yeah, what happens, you get into the, something like this, and it's kind of like trade negotiations. They have to find something, some kind of an agreement where both sides can claim victory. Well, absolutely, and then now you're going to see some messaging votes. So you're going to see uh, Leader McConnell in the Senate uh, bring up the president's proposal. It's something he knows that uh, the least president would sign if it could pass, but he's going to need at least seven Democrats in order to get passage in the Senate, and that's going to be tough. And then on the House side, uh, they're going to continue to bring up votes to try to um, ratchet the pressure on Republicans to say, hey, we've got a package of six fiscal 2019 spending bills that were previously negotiated between the House and the Senate last year, but never either released or put up for vote. So um, those would fund USDA, FDA, the Interior Department, and EPA. Uh, but they're, again, not likely to go anywhere in the Senate. So uh, both bodies will be uh, trying to elevate their respective positions. But, again, uh, there needs to be negotiations from the top leadership in order to get this thing advanced. And, and until that happens, uh, I think we're just going to see some more of the same. Even though the trade representative's office is impacted by the shutdown as well, are the talks for later this month in Washington, D.C., with China still on? As far as I know, they are, and those seem to be one bright spot in what's happening on trade right now, that there seem to be some good discussions when Ted McKinney, the Undersecretary for USDA, and Greg Dow, their chief ag ambassador uh, negotiator, were over in China. Uh, they haven't said anything specifically about what they got, but uh, there seems to be a the feeling that there were really good discussions on agriculture from the folks that we've talked to. And so when the top Chinese negotiator comes back here in a few days, then uh, there's an expectation that uh, this will further, you know, move the ball down the field and uh, whether they can get past the other things outside of agriculture seems to be a, still a stumbling block. So um, I think there's a real interest in seeing whether or not that will continue to avoid this, uh, you know, further escalation of our trade war with the Chinese, because the deadline's coming up faster than we think on March 2nd. Interesting with the EU, they make some purchases, but still don't want agriculture as part of any ag deals. Well, if you talk to the European negotiators, they say that when the president initially worked with them, there was no expectation of agriculture being included and that it was a secondary request. Uh, that's their excuse anyway. And they tend to say that, uh, you know, there's no way that they want to include agriculture at all. And, of course, that's a non-starter for U.S. agriculture. And the president has made it very clear he does want to have agriculture in those negotiations. So it doesn't look like there can be a successful resolution at this point. And when you think about it, Mike, you know, this kind of reminds me of going back to the uh, the GATT talks before we had the mm -hmm. WTO, which often got referred to as the general agreement to talk and talk. Um, and, and instead of tariffs and trade, it's just um, it's a long slog with the Europeans. Yeah, a lot of baggage that comes to the table uh, when you start talking about trying to negotiate uh, 
ag issues and any type of a trade deal, which has always seemed to make this uh, a pretty heavy lift, uh, maybe heavier than some of the others that are pretty challenging as well. All right, Sarah, thank you very much, and uh, I'll see you in San Diego then. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Mike. Okay, take care. Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Yeah, I'll join her out there in San Diego for the National Biodiesel Conference. Uh, certainly there will be a lot to talk about out there with the RFS and uh, what's going on with the chances of ever getting some kind of a certainty um, on a biodiesel tax incentive, tax credit. And also just want to get a look at the the future of the biodiesel industry with the leaders of uh, that group. And we'll be doing that the next couple of days. Hope you'll join us for those reports. Well, a lot of uh, cold weather. San Diego may be breezy and mild, but the rest of the country, a lot of it is uh, shivering from the winter cold. We're going to talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson about that coming up next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this. But you're here now. You're going to go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you going to do? You're going to go grocery shopping. Cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. you got to dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. If you suffer from heartburn or other digestive-related disorders, then there is a new, safe, better, and natural alternative to better digestive wellness and heartburn relief. Praxid not only provides relief of heartburn, but Praxid takes a 360-degree approach to support better digestion, protect you from harmful bacteria, and also balance your stomach to improve digestive functions. We like to think of it as the multivitamin of digestive health. It's the only product to combine all natural ingredients known for the digestive health properties into a single patented product. Praxid also comes in easy-to-carry packs. Praxid relieves, restores, and maintains a healthy digestive system. Praxid is available here for only $39.95. Shipping and handling is free, and your money back is guaranteed. To take advantage of this special radio offer, call now, 1-800-829-5705. That's 1-800-829-5705. Again, 1-800-829-5705. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff, even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. 
So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, I remember, oh, a couple weeks or so, the DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson told us about the get ready around, oh, the middle of January or so for some uh, really cold weather, some an Arctic blast coming in. And, wow, you were right on, Bryce. Uh, it's uh, pretty cold in a lot of the country here over the weekend yeah, it, and as we start this week. Oh, it definitely is, Mike, and especially uh, from the Rockies on east, uh, that's where the real uh, push of this latest round uh, has been. And, um, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, things that go into it, but basically um, in, the, in the upper levels of the atmosphere, uh, there's a, a real avenue that's formed for that colder air to move into the Midwest and then through the eastern part of the country because of upper-level high pressure out over the West Coast and then into Alaska. And there's also a similar type feature out over Greenland in the North Atlantic. And um, that just has uh, provided uh, pretty much uh, a roadway for this colder air to move all the way from the Arctic uh, into the Midwest and then through part of the eastern uh, U.S. And and along with that, uh, we've had a pretty good round of Gulf moisture inflow that has led to you know, the, the real widespread uh, precipitation types that we've had uh, with uh, some heavy rain, heavy snow. There's been a lot of slick roads that have developed because you've got plenty of uh, transition areas between uh, snow and rainfall, so the freezing stuff. And it's made for a real difficult pattern uh, to go into this last half of the month. And break it down for us across the country. Well, I don't think it's going to be uh, anything on the real warm side as we go through this week because uh, this uh, colder air is going to pretty much stay with the entire central and eastern U.S. And, and that means below normal temperatures, uh, still a, a very uh, difficult uh, scenario for uh, the rest of this week for getting around. I think it's going to be tough for traveling and move commodities, you know, there's likely to be a little bit of basis firming uh, for corn uh, going to ethanol plants and even to uh, export facilities because of uh, the fact that it's just going to be difficult to, um, you know, to load grain and, and then to move it. So you've got that going on. And uh, over the western part of the country, it is going to calm down. Uh, the, the big rounds of uh, energy out of the Pacific have started to let up, and so it's going to be drier in the west and uh, milder, uh, but, that, but that is uh, primarily west of the Rockies. Uh, the Midwest, uh, most of the plains, and then on east uh, are going to have a, a pretty cold pattern still to work with, and I think we could see more heavy snows in the immediate Great Lakes because of this. One thing, Mike, that hasn't been, I, I think, given uh, enough attention has been the impact that we've had on the uh, livestock situation, not only in the northern plains, but even in the southern plains as well. 
because uh, there are a lot of feedlots and pastures that have been very muddy, and it's been uh, it's been a real tough winter so far over a lot of the area and, and a lot of the uh, uh, cattle feeding areas of the country, and not just in the north, but even in the southern plains as well. Yeah, some really tough conditions here in January. Let's look ahead to February. What are your longer-range forecasts saying? Well, I think that we're going to have more of these uh, cold patterns, uh, cold uh, incursions uh, still to come during the latter part of the winter. Our uh, look at, at winter, I think, is playing out pretty well, but we talked about, uh, you know, back in December in that, uh, the, quite frankly, the polar vortex uh, around the Arctic is, is not holding together real well. And because of that, uh, there's going to be more and more chances for this uh, bitter cold to uh, move farther south and kind of stay with us. And I think that we will have, uh, in large part, a below-normal temperature trend during February, and uh, that is going to stay with us then on into March and be a, a very slow end uh, to our winter season this year. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, uh, give us uh, the look at the weather in South America. It still isn't looking very good for uh, some meaningful rainfall in Brazil, Mike. This week, uh, the uh, major crop areas in Brazil will see a little bit of rain. They have some over the weekend, maybe around uh, one to one and a half inches over that south central into northeastern parts of the country. But the uh, overall uh, temperature or the overall precip pattern is still uh, running below average, and, uh, you know, we've seen the impact in terms of lower soybean crop prospects, and I think that that's just going to continue, and it still is not going to be uh, real mild in uh, central and northeastern Brazil. Temperatures are going to run anywhere from 10 to 15 degrees above average. And then in Argentina, uh, in contrast, uh, central and southern Argentina are going to get rainfall this week, and temperatures are still pretty much on the mild side, you have to say that Argentina has got a better rainfall pattern uh, this season than Brazil has seen. Uh, the, you know, it's just uh, kind of the opposite of what we saw about a year ago. Argentina had a very dry year last year, and that hurt their crop quite a bit. But Argentina is uh, getting along relatively better uh, than Brazil so far this season. Well, some other key spots around the globe. The uh, scenario in uh, the Black Sea is uh, not looking too bad at this point. Uh, they've seen a fair amount of snowfall in Ukraine and Russia, so uh, the wheat crop has got pretty good, uh, pretty good snow cover right now uh, when it gets colder. And uh, at this uh, time, you don't have to uh, worry too much about the condition for crops over in the Black Sea region. Uh, Europe has just uh, had some incredible cold weather here recently and uh, some very heavy snows, but they have stayed pretty much um, away from uh, some of the uh, major crop areas. So uh, as far as the real bitter cold, I don't think that we're looking at too big a problem uh, in Poland and Germany and northern France. Uh, the, the winter is manageable, although it certainly has been cold in continental Europe. So what has happened to El Nino? Well, El Nino is around, but it's a very weak feature. Uh, those water temperatures are barely at the level for El Nino warmth, you know, to be identified. And uh, the atmospheric indicator, the Southern Oscillation Index, has not come around uh, to uh, support an El Nino 
uh, delineation at all and El Nino identification. Uh, the SOI values have pretty well stayed neutral. And I think, Mike, that that's a, a big player in uh, this winter pattern that we've uh, been going through here in the U.S. because there's been, you know, some of that energy out of the Pacific, but the, the, uh, the jet stream patterns that you think of with a typical El Nino have not really set up. And, and a big identifier of that is that over the northern areas of uh, the country, you know, we've seen these cold outbreaks develop. In a typical El Nino, you would not see that. And uh, that's a, a real big uh, identifier to me of how this winter is uh, different than a typical El Nino winter uh, because of what we've got going on. Are you surprised the way this has developed or not developed in the case of El Nino? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not really surprised. Um, the, the look of uh, this winter was, uh, was really a pretty strong feature, at least from our standpoint. Uh, looking into uh, things, you know, back in October and November. It never looked like the Pacific was going to get warm enough to make a real definitive El Nino presence uh, in our weather pattern. And, um, you know, we don't have a a whole lot of uh, NOAA commentary, you know, to look at right now because of the government shutdown. But even back in the fall and then, uh, through December, you know, prior to everything pretty well being uh, put on hold uh, from the uh, from the NOAA side of things, um, their look in in uh, in the forecast, in our view, was leaning a little bit too heavy on a typical El Nino type of presence, and we just haven't seen that right now. You still thinking it could be a late planting season for the Midwest? I am concerned about that. Uh, with the idea that uh, winter is going to be a slow feature to really modify. You know, temperatures are going to take their time in warming up this spring. And then, Mike, we know that the soil moisture levels are just so full that it's not going to take very much to uh, put the uh, field conditions into a real wet uh, pattern. Uh, we know that. I mean, you know, you look at soil moisture levels uh, from the, from the uh, front range of the Rockies on east, and except for uh, some areas in Missouri, parts of southeastern Kansas, you're looking at uh, very full soil moisture profiles. In fact, we've got some record uh, soil moisture profile uh, readings because of how wet it was last fall and then in, in portions uh, this winter season. And, of course, we're getting more and more uh, moisture with that to, you know, right. to uh, kind of add to things right now. All right, Bryce. Thanks a lot, and we'll talk again next week. Okay, sounds good, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. All right, Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the RFA, next on AOA. Did you know you can listen to the latest podcast of Adams on Agriculture or hear the top news and weekend review from the American Ag Network on your Amazon Alexa? Play my flash briefing. Use the Alexa app to search for the podcast you want to play. Search for Adams on Agriculture to learn about the issues affecting agriculture each weekday. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Again. Or you can search for the American Ag Network. This is the American Ag Network Week in Review. I'm Sabrina Hill. Stay up to date on agriculture with the sound of your voice on your Amazon device. I can't believe he found them. He seems sorry. We very clearly told him not to look up there. I'm honestly impressed that he was able to do it. Right? What did he balance on that big chair? Or... Yeah, I mean, 
I guess he'll just know what his gifts are this year. I really thought we had hidden them well. If they can find their presence, they can find a gun. 911, what is your emergency? Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and N Family Fire. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over five million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heart for a mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. Call now. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, Manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to invent help. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And happy to be joined here on AOA by Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for being with us. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. Let's look back at uh, the confirmation hearing last week for Andrew Wheeler to be EPA Administrator. Um especially when it comes to talking about the RFS and E15 it seems like the there were some some red flags in there what what are you concerned about 
Well, we heard a, a couple things that concerned us. We heard a, a few things that were somewhat encouraging as well, and so I guess I'll start with those. Mr. Wheeler did say that that he and, and EPA remain committed uh, to get the E15 uh, year-round RVP rulemaking uh, finished in before summertime so retailers can continue to sell E15 throughout the summer months uh, and effectively eliminating that summertime ban on E15. Uh, so he did make that commitment when he was pressed a couple of times on that. However, the caveat he gave was, well, you know, gosh, if this uh, government shutdown continues to drag on, it, it could throw that schedule into uh, flux, and, and it's possible that we might not meet that deadline uh, if this shutdown drags on. So that was, uh, you know, was some, something we weren't terribly excited to hear, and we don't think that the shutdown should be used in any way as an excuse for missing uh, a deadline on a rulemaking that EPA was directed to begin uh, all the way back in October and still hasn't begun. Um, so that was one issue. And then uh, small refiner exemptions uh, was the other big issue that, that raised some red flags for us. Uh, Mr. Wheeler did, in response to questions from several oil state senators, uh, you know, suggest that the small refiner exemption program is something he will continue to uh, to use uh, at EPA and, and may continue to excuse small refiners from their RFS obligations if, uh, you know, if they demonstrate that they're suffering economic harm as a result of the program. We, we think it's uh, laughable that any refinery could suggest that they're experiencing harm today at the hands of the RFS. So that was a little bit problematic to hear as well. Yeah, some concerns there. Let's look, let's look at the E15, getting it ready to go. Uh, for this summer, we knew all along they kept this pretty close. Didn't give themselves much margin for error on a very yep. tight timeline. Do we have any idea? Is there some kind of date out there that if the government shutdown lasts till this particular date, then that's going to delay uh, E15 in the summer? Or do we have any idea what that uh, that deadline might be or that cutoff could be? Well, there were there were a few questions he got from uh, uh, some senators last week. Um, that tried to fish that answer out, and, and, and he really uh, didn't answer it directly. Uh, I guess one, one thing Mr. Wheeler said in response to that question was um, he doesn't think that, that every day that the government shutdown persists is a, is a full day of, of lost work on the, the E-15 rulemaking, so it isn't, a, it isn't necessarily a day-for-day exchange. Uh, but, uh, but I will, you know, I guess I'd say, Mike, that, you know, look, we knew all the way back in October uh, when President Trump went to Council Bluffs and said EPA will start a rulemaking process to remove the E15 summertime ban, uh, we, we, I guess we're still scratching our heads on why we're at the end of January and that process has not begun. EPA all the way back in November said, yeah, uh, we're going to wait till February to initiate that process, and we still think that will give us time to get this done. Uh, like you said, we knew that was a tight time frame to begin with. The government shutdown is just uh, compressing that even, thir- even further. You know, May 31st is 130 days away from today, and that might seem like a long time, but it is really the blink of an eye in terms of getting a regulatory change all the way through the process. And it's not like, I mean, obviously they didn't know that there was going to be a government shutdown or how long it could last, but it almost seems, and we've, we were worried about this at the time, and now looking mm-hmm. back at it, it seems even more the case, they were setting this up almost 
to fail as far as meeting that June 1st deadline. It, it, it just almost felt that way all along. Well, we, we, like you said, we, we always knew that uh, they were giving themselves absolutely no wiggle room by waiting until February to propose a rule, and now they need that wiggle room because of the shutdown, and, and it's not there. It's going to take a Herculean effort uh, to get this rulemaking done in time for summer. Um, in the 12 or 13 years that I've been working on ethanol regulatory issues and, and following EPA regulatory issues, I've never seen something go through the process from beginning to end. Uh, that quickly. There's just a lot involved in, in that whole process. So, um, it, it, you know, we, we continue to push. We continue to do everything in our power uh, to keep the heat on EPA and the administration to get this process going and get that rulemaking done before summer, uh, as was promised. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Speaking of E15, you have an awareness campaign underway. Tell us about it. Yeah, and, and really part of the part of that uh, goal of keeping the heat on involves this awareness campaign. Uh, we did roll out uh, a digital advertising campaign last week, a new website, uh, and really uh, the the campaign has three main audiences. One is the new members of Congress that are getting settled in uh, to their offices in D.C. and and are finally starting you know to to have some time to. Uh, to look around and, and, and see what's happening. We want to make sure that the first thing they're hearing about E15 and, and ethanol is coming from us. Um, you know, another audience, of course, is, is EPA and the administration, who we want to keep the pressure on them to get this done in time for summer. Um, and then finally, consumers. I mean, we, we know that, that if this rulemaking gets done in time for summer, there's going to be uh, consumers who could be seeing E15 offered in their local markets for the first time. And so we want to start doing some education around, uh, you know, introducing them to the fuel and, and, and helping them understand the benefits of the fuel. Uh, so these ads are, are running uh, uh, online uh, today. Uh, we're expecting to, to keep running these ads really through the early part of the spring and may extend the campaign further uh, depending on, on the results we're seeing. Jeff, I, I've you know, when we look at what's going on right now with the administration as far as what is said and what's done when it comes to renewable fuels, this is certainly not the first administration we've seen where the president says one thing and an agency in that administration like EPA seems to do something else. But uh, you can't help but miss the irony here. I mean, uh, this president is as vocal publicly about support of renewable fuels as probably any we've had, but yet his administration, his agency, EPA, is one granting these waivers, and uh, seemingly uh, the the actions aren't always backing up the words. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I, th- I think you're exactly right, Mike. Our, our, our biggest champion in this administration on ethanol and on the, the renewable fuel standard and on E15 is the president himself. Um, he has taken a, a vested interest in this, a personal interest in these issues, and, and, and I think it all goes back to his, you know, his the time he spent in Iowa when he was campaigning. Um, he took the time to, to speak with farmers, with ethanol producers. He's, he's toured a few ethanol plants, uh, so he understands the issue. Uh, the, the, the problem is, as you said, uh, there seems to be a disconnect between the commitments and promises that, that the president has been making to the industry um, and those commitments being carried out by the agencies in charge of, of these regulations, and that's been EPA. Um, we all know, I think, the, the main reason for that previously was uh, the former administrator at, at EPA, Scott Pruitt, 
um, just simply had no interest whatsoever in doing anything uh, that was going to be seen as beneficial to the ethanol industry, and he went out of his way uh, to, you know, very underhandedly, um, you know, uh, take a hatchet to the RFS program and and these small refiner exemptions that he was handing out in the dark at night before anybody knew what was happening is still having lasting impacts on on our marketplace. So, you know, we're very hopeful uh, that Mr. Wheeler is going to take a different approach uh, to the small refiner exemptions. We're hopeful that he's going to, uh, you know, live up to the commitments of the of the White House uh, on these issues. Um, and you know, I think we're going to know here in the in the first quarter of this year. Um, you know whether we're dealing with more of the same at EPA or or, or hopefully uh, Mr. Wheeler is somebody that we can work with and, and trust to help get these things done. Yeah, I remember saying this a lot during the Obama administration when the the president would say one thing and EPA would do another, and now mm-hmm. it's carried over into the Trump administration. I mean, to those of us on the outside looking in, it it seems it ought to be simple. The president's the boss. He instructs the EPA administrator, here's right. what I want you to do, do it. But it doesn't seem to work that way. And it makes you feel, uh, it makes me feel a lot of times, okay, a president uh, wants to be able to say one thing publicly, which is going to appeal to a certain group, knowing mm-hmm. that uh, uh, they can drag their feet or not exactly follow through on all that at the at the agency level. Right. No, that that is definitely a concern. And, and you know, we, we think that... Uh, uh, the, the president sometimes just needs to be reminded that, uh, you know, hey, this is what you said uh, back in October or last June or when you were campaigning in 2016 or whenever it was. And you need to know, in case you don't, uh, that your your uh, agency heads, uh, and in this case EPA in particular and, and especially the former administrator, is not carrying out your wishes on this program. Um, and so I think once in a while it just takes a simple reminder that that's what's happening and you know, obviously the president has so many irons in the fire. He can't be focused on our issues all the time and, and um, watching over every move that EPA makes on ethanol. Uh, so sometimes I, I think it's in order to uh, gently remind uh, the White House that, that, hey, this is what you promised us and this is what you said and, and this is what your agency's doing or not doing uh, to execute on that commitment. All right, Jeff, as always, good to talk with you, and we'll see how this plays out. But, uh, wow. I guess right now, next step, we need to get this government shutdown taken care of and see where we go from there uh, on getting the E15 approved for this summer. Thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. All right. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Take care. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. We'll be talking a lot more about the RFS and a lot of these uh, uh, renewable fuels issues the next couple of days when I'm in San Diego for the biodiesel conference. Uh, They're... That's an industry that's probably gotten hurt even more than ethanol, probably, by these uh, waivers that have been granted uh, by EPA to the RFS. And of course, they also have some other issues and concerns about trying to get a biodiesel tax incentive uh, passed and in place. Uh, it's been off and on again for a number of years. So we'll talk biodiesel the next couple of days. We're going to talk markets next on AOA. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. 
Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. And you can be part of this battle too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Okay, men. This is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're gonna go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you gonna do? You're gonna go grocery shopping. Clean. Be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. What does Meals on Wheels do? They deliver meals and smiles to homebound seniors. But Meals on Wheels does something else. They turn a volunteer's lunch break into a meaningful experience. As small and as simple as the relationship is between a volunteer and a client of Meals on Wheels, it's really so impactful. I never thought that five minutes could make so much difference in the lives of two people, but it has. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive a free DVD and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,000 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with bottles starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. 
Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, of course, markets closed today, but uh, let's talk markets. Some outlook with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Steve, thanks for joining us. Uh, kind of a chance to catch your breath here with the uh, break today, uh, the observance of Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And uh, when the markets get back and going then tomorrow, what are you expecting? Well, you know, it's, it's good morning, Mike. Good to be with you this morning. Yes, on this Martin Luther King Day. You know, it, it, we kind of we were talking about this last week, and we're kind of in the winter doldrums here. And you know, we've we haven't had a lot of trade activity over the weekend while the market has been closed for three days, um, and and not a lot of chatter. And I think you know, in reading, and I'll say this kind of around the horn, I think that as this drags on, whether it's the government shutdown or whether it's the the trade talks with China or Europe or or whoever. And there was some news over the weekend that. Um, Europe wanted to remove the ag portion of any trade discussions from any trade discussions going forward. You know, that's kind of bearish on the market because I think a lot of people thought if we could get get some movement in Europe, that would probably help other places too. And I kind of wonder now if that's going to happen, um, or at least it's a point of contention. So, you know, I kind of wonder if the markets are kind of near the top of this range they've been in for, you know, really from early last fall um, when we hit the lows. Probably we probably open up tomorrow morning, maybe a little, a little unfriendly, um, depending on what's happened. But I, you know, depending on what happens today, if anything. Um, but I think the other thing to think about is the weather. And I know, you know, it, it, no matter kind of where you are in the country now, it's just darn cold and it's pretty snowy on top of that. So while it may not impact futures, basis levels may get a little bit of a, of, a you know, kind of a kick up here um, when grain's not moving because it's just a doggone cold, and either. You know, roads probably are okay because they're frozen, but, you know, you've kind of got a double whammy. If it's frozen and cold, it may be hard to move grain, but once it starts to thaw, then the roads, you can't move them on roads. So you may see some basis appreciation that probably is where, going to, where the opportunity is going to be uh, going forward for producers to market grain. Many had thought by now we would see the markets buying corn acres away from soybeans. Yep. Uh, it, it doesn't yep. look like it's going to be near, whatever that number is going to be, it won't be as much as we thought it might have been earlier on. Now I wonder if there's some kind of a deal announced anytime soon in the next uh, month or so, let's say with China, could that yep. actually even slow that process? Even more? Could that mean uh, more acres or how do I want to say it? Fewer acres switching away from soybeans than we thought. <laughs> You know, what do you, how do you see, I mean, could that actually reverse and an announcement would buy some soybean acres? Yeah, I think, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, I don't, it is a really interesting question because in talking to producers last week, um, you know, I talked about beans and corn and, and, and there were some people who were like, well, I'm not really going to make any big changes. And, and the fact is it's so much cheaper to, you know, 
plant soybeans and the impact, you know, that we're seeing this increase in fertilizer prices, and I'll pick on nitrogen, um, people are looking at those corn budgets and going, ooh, this doesn't look very good. But then they look at the bean budget and think, well, it's cheaper to plant them, but maybe I have upside. And I guess my only caution to that is that let's don't forget the fundamentals on soybeans are so bearish right now that, and, I, and I've said this before, I think if you get a, if you get a, a pop-up in soybean prices, if we get this thing settled, and I don't care if it's today or tomorrow or next month, we'll probably get soybeans, you know, get a pop-in, and that's probably a marketing opportunity. I do think it does, I, get back to the genesis of your question, I do think that maybe we're not going to see the, we're still going to see lower soybean acres in, in 2019. I think that's a pretty, I think that's a safe bet to make. It may not be that six to eight million acres that people are talking about. You know, it may only be that three to five million acre type number that people, that maybe we didn't think was possible, you know, last fall. So I think that's where the, that's where the, the tweak will come. It does mean, in our view, we had had earlier on, we thought we'd only see half a million, maybe a million and a half acre increase in soybean and corn acres. Uh, we are looking at those numbers right now. And then we're also looking at um, what we would look at for beans made. You know, we early on were pretty bearish. And I think we kind of go back to that three to five million. But we also expected, we, we expected some, you know, increased two to three million acres in wheat acres. But Mother Nature's kind of Put a little dent in that number because it's been so doggone wet in wheat country, and which has also been very tough on cattle. We probably should throw that in as well. So, so I think acres, friend, we could see some switching around. Yeah, go ahead. In this friendly corn, then, if you, I mean, we're going to get probably more corn acres, but not maybe seven or eight million more acres. Right, exactly. No, no, I, absolutely. You're not going to see that big surge in corn acres. Uh, you are going to see a bit of an increase in corn acres, but certainly nothing like what I think people were thinking, you know, last fall or even last summer as prices went down on beans. Yeah, as you pointed Absolutely. out, not all not all the acres coming out of soybeans would have necessarily gone to corn, but probably the majority of them. Right. So I just, I just see it as, it's an interesting scenario, so different than what we were expecting, say, last fall or, or yep. as we began the winter. Well, and I think, yeah, exactly. The scenario is so different. And I think it adds, you know, we've talked at nauseum about uncertainty, and it just adds another uncertainty. And we've had, it's hard to believe that we've had more uncertainty in this market than we, than you and I talked about you know, less than a month ago. But, you you know, you've added Mother Nature in here with, it's been so wet, and now it's gotten cold. Field work, some field work got done in December, but a lot of field work didn't get done. Fertilizer prices, fertilizer prices have come up. And so you come into the spring with, I won't say a, a, a clean canvas, but you've got, the opportunity to make some switches in the spring uh, because you don't have the field work done and you can you have some flexibility that you may not have had normally. So you've added another layer of uncertainty on top of everything else that we had coming into this fall and then, of course, this winter and spring. So it just is a really – and, you know, we sort of joked before, but, I mean, do we get uh, – if this government shutdown gets us all first, I mean, we may not get – we don't get this crop planted until next fall when we get the planting perspectives in August, you know. And I, and you don't want to make light of that, but, I mean, this just creates lots and lots of uncertainty in the marketplace. All right. Good to talk with you, Steve. And uh, we'll – Good to talk I, with I, Mike. I, I'm certain we'll talk about uncertainty again the next time we talk, okay? <laughs> I, I am – that is one certainty for sure, absolutely. All right. Have a take good day. care. Mm-hmm. 
Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Robo AgriFinance. All right, we'll wrap it up for today. I'm off to San Diego, the National Biodiesel Conference, and uh, we'll have a lot of issues to talk about there with biodiesel industry leaders. Hope you'll join us next couple of days from the National Biodiesel Conference. And thanks for joining us each day right here on AOA. Have a great day, everyone. I'm Mike Adams. This is Adams on Agriculture. 